All right. Does anybody remember the, that guy, Jack LaLanne? And you're kind of dating yourself a little bit, right? Um, uh, but he was a, kind of the original fitness guru, born in San Francisco in 1914. Started kind of the, the original fitness craze, really, by starting opening a, up a gym in Oakland in 1936. Had a TV show on for 34 years. And uh, books, the, the juicer, the videos. I mean, he had everything, right? And, uh, but he did something on his 70th birthday. Uh, he wanted to do these, you know, he had all these feats of strength and stuff. And on his 70th birthday, he swam a mile and a half in the Long Beach Harbor, pulling 70 people in 70 rowboats behind him. For a mile and a half, 70 years old, right? Some people have trouble walking a mile, walking a mile and a half at 70. But, and, he had, and he had his hands shackled together and his feet shackled together. And uh, he was just a, he was a maniac. He was just a real tough guy, an old codger. And uh, one of the things that you used to always say is other people work uh, at dying. I work at living. And this, he died, uh, lived to be 96, full of life and vigor. And today we're going to look at Caleb, who is kind of the Bible's version of the Jack LaLanne. Kind of the old guy, uh, tubble, codger, fearless, right? And so uh, if you've got your Bible, you can turn it to Joshua chapter 14. It's going to be on the screen. The main passage is right there in your program as well. So um, let me give you a little context. So let me go back a little bit and just kind of set up the story if I can. Um, remember, the Israelites have been uh, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Prior to that, you know, we got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and then Jacob's son had all these sons. Joseph was one of them. The other brothers got jealous and they, they sold their brother into slavery in Egypt. Joseph rose to the top, kind of a, became like vice pharaoh, really, in Egypt. And uh, the rest of the family moved there for a famine. So all the Israelites moved out of the, what was, was the promised land to Egypt. And eventually over time they became slaves in Egypt. All right, and so Mo uh, Moses, of course, gets sent over there by God to free the people out of Egypt and bring them back into the promised land. You can read all about that in the book of Exodus. And he gets them to the edge of the promised land and he dies and then Joshua takes over. So that's kind of the story that we're looking at over these weeks. And 45 years earlier than the story, than where we are in our story. So if you want to flash back 45 years, they're ready to enter the land. Um, 12 spies were sent out, one spy from each tribe. We're going to talk a little bit about it as we get into it. But Twelve spies went out just to check out the land. Ten of them came back with a, a negative report. But Joshua and Caleb uh, wanted to believe God's promise that they could go in and they could take the land. But the rest of the Israelites believed the ten and they shrank back. So now 45 years um, later, current, you know, in the story, they're ready to enter the land again. Now, most of the land has been conquered at this point. They're casting lots to kind of see who's going to get what to divide up the land by tribe. And Caleb steps forward uh, right in the beginning of the process to remind Joshua of what land he wants because a certain land has been promised to him. So Caleb and Joshua, fast friends, they've been buddies for years and years, kindred spirits. And so we're going to read a little bit. I'm going to read it kind of fast. It's on your screen and in your program, but I'll just read our text here for us. <clears throat> it says, uh, this is Joshua 14, 6 through 15. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought back him back a report according to my convictions. It's funny because he's telling Joshua, but Joshua was there, right? So he keeps saying, I, I, I. He should say we, but he's saying I. 
Um, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Remember that word. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which you, your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua son, uh, blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him, gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites, and the land had rest from war. So yeah, today we're going to talk about Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. We're going to be bringing the fun back to Jephunneh here. And uh, so we're going to look at, but I want you to see here and you read that passage. How many times is talking about Joshua's heart? I mean, a couple times it's saying wholeheartedly, but it's talking about my convictions. And, and he's talking so much about what he was feeling in that moment. See, because 45 years earlier, when God had condemned the Israelites to wander, he said, you're not going to believe me? You're not going to go take the land? Okay, you're going to be cursed. This generation is going to be cursed to wander in the desert now for 40 years. So in Numbers 32, back then, this is what it says, because you have not followed me wholeheartedly, there's that word again, not one of the men 20 years or older, uh, 20 years old or more who came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> not one except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So there it is again. And, and so when there's a description of Joshua, it's about him being wholehearted. And I just, I mean, I'm guessing you made time to be here on a Sunday morning. If, if it was to be written about you by God, by godly people, that you were wholehearted, wouldn't you want that? And so what does it take to be wholehearted? We're just going to take a, a little peek through Caleb's life here today about what that might look like. And the first one here is to have faith and believe promises. To, I'm sorry, to have faith to believe promises. Verse six through nine. Now, we know that the Bible is full of promises. In fact, I think you could say that the whole thing is God's promise to humanity. It's a promise of redemption. It's like this engagement ring that's full of promises given to a bride as she awaits her wedding day. And as you know, when people have promised different things to you, it's not really so much what they promise. It's much more about who's making the promise, right? Whether or not you can trust the one making the promise. And when God is the one making the promise, it's as good as done, yeah? He is truth. It's impossible for him to lie. He cannot go back on a promise. So <clears throat> when we're looking at the promises of Scripture, it's not so much what did God promise, it's Rather, who or will we trust the one making the promise? And when you look at that word wholeheartedly, in the Hebrew, it means to literally fill, to, to make full, to, to follow him fully. In fact, the same word is used a couple times in Exodus when it's talking about priests and them being consecrated, set apart for a single purpose, to be completely devoted to God. In fact, there's a little bit of a tie um, to remember when we were talking about the devoted things, the things that would be set apart as the Israelites are entering the land, the devoted things. There's a little bit of a tie to this whole idea of being wholehearted as well. I mean, think about 
you know, in math, what's an integer? An integer is a whole number, right? And so you think about integrity. And so integrity and wholeheartedness. Don't worry, that's just the rats in the air conditioning. Um, they're fine. Um, they only get down every once in a while. So if you feel a little something come on your head, don't worry about it. Um, no. But uh, integrity is to be whole, right? It's to be inside and out. And, and, and so a whole number is an integer. And, and so to not have a divided heart is to be wholehearted. James talks about it in, in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse eight through, uh, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Double-minded and unstable. A divided heart. A heart that doesn't believe but doubts. A heart that cannot trust the one giving the promise. It's like a, a wave of the sea being tossed about by winds of fear. So rather than applying faith, they resort to fear and make it feel like, and we, and we know what this temptation is. We know what fear looks like when you feel like the whole world is on your own shoulders. Like it's all dependent on you. Like this is all, um, this is all in your hands and you can't release that control to God to just allow him to work at different areas of your life. You, you want to just hold on to it, whether it's your kids or your job or your marriage or different things where you, or your own emotions where you feel like I have to grip this myself. Well, the control idea is one of fear rather than allowing God with his promises and trusting him. And as gritty and determined as Caleb kind of sounds in these verses, he gives us a few words here that kind of show us where his heart really is. Because in verse 12, he says, with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said, right? Because he's not boasting in his own strength as an 85-year-old to be able to go and beat up giants. He's saying, I have God's promise to help and I'm going to believe it. You see, Caleb's appeal to this land that was promised to him is based on God's word given to him through Moses. And so Moses you know, had promised him that part of the land and he had faith then in that promise as something that was spoken from the Lord. It's not just a, a feeling he got. He's not like trying to take a verse meant for somebody else and apply it to himself. It's from God through Moses to him specifically. It's his promise. And I know what sometimes we think. We're like, well, I'll believe the promises of God, but I don't have any specific to me. You know, most of us, we don't hear God audibly necessarily. It's rare. But, you know, if, if we haven't heard God audibly, you might not know really what his promise is. Does he promise you a certain uh, amount of prosperity or a job or your, something with your kids or whatever? And you would say, you would start to doubt and say, well, I don't have a specific promise. But you could do this. I just, it took me seriously 10 seconds. I just Google searched New Testament promises it was like the first or second hit. And it said 750 promises in the New Testament. Click, boom. I just, here's a few. Receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Entering the kingdom of heaven. Having comfort in your affliction. Being given the right to become a child of God. Great inheritance and reward. Forgiveness of sin. Provision for the necessities of life. Answers to your prayers. Punishment for evildoers who have wronged you. Gifting and being used in, to be able to be used in the church. A unity in a victorious church. Uh, material blessings, being used by God to reach the world, divine presence, restoration of all creation, Jesus coming again in power. I mean, I, you know, by the way, that's just a handful of the ones in the first book of the Bible in the New Testament in Matthew. I mean, do I have to list all 750? <laughs> no. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, but, but look, Second Peter, look, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and God, for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Don't read over that. Participate in the divine nature? <laughs> Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Second Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so for those of you that, are, that have said yes to Christ, he is your savior. He is your Lord. All of these promises are yes in Christ to you. So you have promises, yeah? You have promises. So, so it's like, can we get a little excited about that? Right? Can we get a little wholehearted? Because, and part of it is, again, I'm talking to myself here, but can we quit being so defeated and negative and annoyed at little things in life? It's like, can I have a little passion here to be wholehearted and to trust the one who's making these promises to me? And if, if that's the case, let's tell our face, okay? How about, or how about at least your Facebook feed? Tell your Facebook feed that there's a little bit of hope in the world. Um, because I really believe that wholehearted faith to believe the promises of the Bible and the one who promised them is to not be divided, double-minded, unstable, just because they're not coming right away. You see, Caleb stayed wholehearted for 45 years after that promise. He, he had to wait on it and it was, his heart was broken because of the other people's sin. Wholehearted, set apart, consecrated. Nobody is going to talk him out of it. So look at the second one here. Second way to be wholehearted. Have patience to wait for promises in verse 10 and 11. Now imagine Caleb as a boy. He's raised in slavery. He's had generational slavery for 400 years that he's been living in. And he sees God perform these miracles and when he, when he, in his formative years, right? He sees God bring the 10 plagues on Israel. And then they're leaving and he parts the Red Sea. And then he looks back and he sees the sea then collapse on the Egyptian pursuers. And then he sees God bring water in the desert from a rock, manna and quail from heaven, 10 commandments given to Moses, handwritten by God. He sees they're being led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He sees those that are um, rebelling against Moses and Aaron to be punished and inflicted plagues. He sees the, the earth, doggone it, swallow up dissenters, you know. I mean, all these amazing things. And now he's 40 years old. He gets chosen by his own tribe to be the one to go and to scout out the land. He's like, do it again, God, right? He's wanting to see the whole thing happen again. He's seen in the last just couple of years, God do these amazing things. But look at Numbers chapter 13. So let's go back to that original scene. 45 years later, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to him and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave this, Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along uh, the Jordan. No mention of the cellulites, by the way. I guess they weren't, they weren't there. So uh, uh, then verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, now listen, this is Caleb. He's saying, he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. But they, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had re explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, and the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. <laughs> okay, now I have this little suspicion, and it's just kind of the way I read it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm thinking that Caleb is the one who is most convinced here. He, he's 100% um, convinced that they should go in and take the land. In fact, I'll bet Caleb got picked and before he's, as he's, been, he's walking into the land, he's 100% convinced that they need to go in right now and take it. He's probably like, why do we need spies? We need to spy this land. Let's just go. Let's just go right now. God has given us this land. And my guess, because Caleb's kind of the one who speaks up here in Numbers, but I think he was the one who kind of convinced and emboldened Joshua. I think it was Caleb. And he's the one who calls for them to go in. And I think it's kind of funny how they come back with fruit, right? They have this pole and this massive cluster of grapes. And, and they're talking about, you know, it's flowing with milk and honey, which is really just kind of an expression that there's livestock and vegetation. There's abundance, you know, in the land. And, uh, and, but when they need an excuse not to go into the land, what do they say? The land devours those living in it. Well, which is it? <laughs> I mean, is it flowing with milk and honey or does it devour the people? I don't know. But I'm just wondering what that walk back to camp was like. You know, is Caleb walking in the front so eager to get back and convince everybody, let's go? Was he walking in the back because he doesn't want to leave? Are the 10 gathering together, kind of colluding together, how they're going to sabotage this whole thing? But see, the, the 10 here are looking at the problem in light of their own strength. Because on their own, of course, they couldn't beat the giants. Five minutes ago, it felt like they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. The Caleb and Joshua, they, they instead viewed problems in light of God's strength. And so you look at it this way. Faith sees the problem versus God. And fear sees the problem versus me. Let me say it again. Faith sees the problem versus God. And fear sees the problem versus me. And you notice Caleb didn't say, let's go fight. He said, let's go take possession. God's going to fight. Let's go take possession because he knows that with, not, with God, nothing's impossible. It's actually quite simple because the God who can, you know, speak the galaxies and all space, time, and matter into existence by the word of his mouth, I'm pretty sure a few tall guys are not a big problem, okay? And so you look at Isaiah chapter 40. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers, that includes the Anakim giants, right? They are indeed grasshoppers to God. But poor Caleb, man, he saw this land that he was promised. He was so eager to get in there. He saw the wonder firsthand and he believed God wholeheartedly. How frustrating to see 10 of the other 11 shrink back. Think about the disappointment, the anger. He couldn't believe we'd come all this way and we're gonna give up now. So in Numbers 14 is what he says. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. That was a sign of like distress um, and anguish. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us. He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them to death, throwing rocks out until they died. 
Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting of all the Israelites, and he was not happy. Okay, uh, that's a little parenthesis there. But uh, the, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? Everybody here is discouraged, and you know it's pretty hard sometimes to encourage somebody who's determined to be discouraged. Pretty hard to cheer up somebody who wants to be sad or inspire obedience in somebody who's bent on sin. And Caleb, Joshua, the, the positive ones trying to believe God, and the crowd is ready to stone him to death. I mean, have you guys ever been in this situation where like you're the only positive one in the room and everybody gangs up on you? <laughs> you know, you ever been in a situation where you feel like, wait a minute, I'm the sane one here <laughs> and all kinds of crazy people turn on you and you get blamed. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so when the people are being disobedient and unreasonable, there's have no tolerance for obedience and logic. And you notice here, the lack of faith is called rebellion and contempt. See, I think we need to, we need to look at that because you may think the, your lack of faith is neutral, the Bible calls lack of faith rebellion and contempt. So let's be clear. To disobey here for these Israelites is illogical. It's crazy. It's insane. It's actually saying that a few tall guys are more powerful than God's promises. And that's just insane thinking, especially after all the miracles these guys have seen leading up to this. Caleb and Joshua refused to give in to peer pressure. I mean, really, nobody would have um, blamed them had they done it. It would have been easy for them, but they stand firm at the risk of their life, wholeheartedly believing that God is going to do what he said. And so now, 45 years later, Caleb has patiently waited for that promise, and he won't be denied now. So I just ask, are you willing to stay faithful, to wait for his promises, because you believe the one who made the promises, even if it takes years, even if you don't see the fruit right away? This guy waited 45 years to see it happen. You know, for me, I, I felt like I got a late start on things. I got really serious with God in my sophomore year of college, and uh, I just turned 20. I'd kind of grown up around, maybe in the orbit of church, really. Um, not, but I was not even half-hearted. I was like quarter-hearted, tenth-hearted or something, you know, and and so when I came to Christ in college, a couple months later, I felt God calling me into ministry, and I felt so far behind all these guys around me. I was in, just in circle with a lot of guys that were really, um, really eager in ministry and, and, and moving that way. Just these really awesome guys, superstar young men, youth group insiders, solid Christian families. And, and here I was, kind of this latecomer outsider guy. And it felt like, you know, everybody else around me was born on third base, you know, and it's like I was born in the dugout completely out of the starting lineup. You know what I mean? And um, unfortunately, some of those guys thought that they uh, got a triple. It's like, no, you were born on third base. I'm sorry. And that's just kind of annoying. You know those people, right? People that are born on third base think they got a triple. But um, I don't know. I've just had to, you know, over the years, had to deal with a lot of insecurity, comparing myself to those guys, their potential, their head start, all that kind of stuff. And Looking back, I just see how God had used some of the earlier experiences of, of my life, the time when I wasn't walking with God to really form my heart. And then I learned that it's not about your early potential or your accolades either. It's about believing the promises God gave to you, right? And believing and being faithful to stick it out through the years. And I'll tell you, it's about believing um, God's promises to you. And I'd rather 
think you too would rather have less potential but more faithful years serving God than high potential without the faithfulness to live it out. And, and I, there's a lot of those guys that I knew growing up. Um, some of them, their hearts have grown cold. Several of them are out of ministry. And we're not that old, out of ministry. And, and I think part of it is because I know what it's like to live without him. And I think that part has helped me to remain wholehearted and it hasn't grown cold. And let me just say this. And this is maybe some of you, I don't know, just eat the meat, throw away the bones on this. But you may feel that you never had all that much potential for God. But I'll tell you what, the world is full of people with untapped potential sitting on a couch. And if you started late, I want you to have faith that you may be able to be wholehearted in a way that others aren't or can't be or won't be. And God will absolutely use a latecomer and an outsider who's wholehearted. All right? You're going to let me geek out here for a second? Let me, let me do this. Okay, I want you to notice here that it refers to Caleb as the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Now, that's kind of weird, right? We haven't heard a whole lot about the Kenizzites. Um, the only other time, in fact, that the Kenizzites are mentioned was way back hundreds of years earlier when God was first making the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And the Kenizzites are listed as one of the tribes that were living in Canaan that would eventually get kicked out. In fact, that's what Joshua and all the people are doing now, is kicking out all these tribes, these evil tribes of the, of the land of Canaan. And so I guess at some point, the Kenizzites, who were outsiders, attached themselves to the tribe of Judah because Caleb is a Judahite. And so Caleb himself is not even really a true Israelite. He's an outsider himself. But yet at 40, he's chosen to be the one from his tribe, Judah, to go and spy out the land. And then now he's the one showing the true Israelites what it's like to really trust their God, right? It's a little bit like Rahab a couple weeks ago that we saw. She's an outsider. She's a prostitute in Jericho. Can you get more any outside than that, right? And yet she's the one who with her faith and promises of God and trusting God so is in the fold. She's in the kingdom. She's part of Jesus's genealogy. So listen, Outsiders are welcome if they truly trust the promises of God. And for me, uh, I had a breakthrough about it in 1994. Um, got married in June. Uh, I'm sorry, I started the ministry in June and got married in July. And then, and so I just started ministry. I was 23 years old doing college ministry. I was just a couple of years older than all these guys. And, and three years earlier when I had kind of come to Christ, um, the speaker that night had talked about the verse, you know, Jesus is saying, welcoming into heaven, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And that just stuck with me. I was like, man, that's it. That's what I want. I want to hear those words. And so I just started this ministry and I was sinking. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, just so you know, I, I cry a lot. Like you don't see it, but in about four or five months or so, I usually let one out, you know. And uh, I was always that kid that I, every time I struck out as a kid, I was crying. Like that's me, you know what I mean? I look back, I'm like, dude, come on, buttercup, let's go. You know, when I was coaching, but it's like this, you know, that was me. I'd strike out. I, so anyway, the, 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 you know, it flows here. So you just don't see it. But so I'm kind of a little bit of a mama's boy. I'll, I'll admit it. And my son is a senior, so it's going to be flowing the next year. Um, but I, so what happened was I just started ministry. I was jogging in San, we live in San Leandro. Christy and I had a little apartment in San Leandro and I was just overwhelmed by the task. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And if you looked at any empirical evidence of the ministry, it was not going well. 
All right. I knew I was in over my head and all my insecurities were popping out like crazy. And I'm just crying as I'm running. And I'm just questioning, you know, God, did I even hear you right? What am I doing? It's like I'm newly married. I don't know how I'm going to provide. I'm not even supposed to be doing this. And I was like, Lord, I just want to be faithful, right? I'm just crying. I just want to be faithful. So stupid, you know. I just want to be faithful. And the Spirit spoke to me. And again, it wasn't audible, but man, it was clear as anything I've ever heard. And he just said, hey, faithful doesn't mean numbers and success. It means being full of faith. And this is what he said. He goes, it's not just about being faithful to do the work. It's about being full of faith along the way. And so will you trust me and be faithful to complete the task and let me bring the result? That's my job. He says, I want you to be full of faith along the way and trust that I'll do what I want to do with what you're doing. Right? And I stopped running. I stood there for a few minutes on the overpass at Estadillo Avenue or 580. <laughs> I wipe it away the tears, you know, I'm trying to figure the whole thing out. I mean, you stop when God talks to you like that. You know, you just you gotta take a second. But I never look back, you know. I felt like I had my promise, you know. And I think that's why I love kids' ministry. It's because it requires faith. Because most of the time we don't see the fruit right away, right? But to be full of faith along the way, that if, especially if you're on my team and you're working with kids, man, listen. God is going to take our obedience and he's going to do what he wants with it in the lives of these kids. And guess what that takes? That takes a lot of patience to wait for that promise to develop. You see, Caleb was not just faithful to obey God. He was full of faith along the way. You think about it. This guy could have sulked for 45 years. Been mad about spending his best years wandering in the desert because other people were disobedient. He could have, and then when they did, he could have asked for a really easy land near an oasis, away from all the strife, live out all the rest of his days in comfort because, you know, he'd earned it. I mean, he and Joshua, they were the oldest guys in the group, right? And, and oldest by many years. The rest of their generation had died off, but, but God had said there would be only two that would survive. But Caleb would not be held back. He would not let fear, bitterness, anger, regret get in there. And some of you, you, you may feel a little hindered by upbringing or slowed by addiction or stalled by abuse or halted by rebellion. And listen, it is not too late. Caleb spent 40 years in the desert wandering. Every day, what's he thinking about? Hebron, milk and honey and them grapes and kicking butt on giants, right? <laughs> Patient as, patience is eager expectation that God is gonna fulfill the promise. Let's look at number three. Have courage to step into the promises. See, Caleb believed that the Lord would fight for them decades ago, and he still believes it now. And now is the time. You see, now he's ready to go in. He wants Hebron. I want that valley of Eshel around it with all those grapes. He says, I want that land that I first saw. That it was love at first sight. He was like this U.S., like the frontiersman in the United States, you know, walking across the plains, and he sees the land that was meant for him. He goes, that's it. That's what I want. That's my land. And even though the giants are still there, there is absolutely nothing to fear. And I love this because as an A's fan, we all understand there is nothing to fear about giants. Come on now. Right? They got nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I did it. I did it. I did it. Um, but look at verse 12. It says the Anakim were there. Now, don't get excited, Star Wars fans. Sorry, Darth Vader's not in the Bible. So it's Anakim. Um, 
But he's asking for the mountain where the giants are entrenched, where the giants have the high ground. He says, give me that piece of land that made everybody else shrink back. I want that because that's what was promised to me. He's 85 years old. Now, now listen, if Caleb was a first, 21st century American at 85, he'd be 20 years into retirement by now, hold, you know, ready to hang up his golf clubs in Winnebago and just you know, sit around now all day. Uh, he'd be asking Joshua for a nice little peaceful strip of land out of harm's way, and he'd be making sure all that milk and honey could somehow be made into a pudding cup. Yeah? I mean, that's what he would be doing. But instead, he's like, I want it. I want that land. He, I want to drive out those Anakim myself. Right? He's like, let me at them. I'll take them. It's like his Jack LaLanne moment, you know? I'm still as strong as I was. His faith is still as strong, even if maybe he under, overestimated what his body can do. It reminded me of like, remember Rocky II, where uh, Mickey, the coach, is, is coaching up Rocky and he's training to, to fight Apollo again. He's, he says, you're going to pound that sass right out of him. Last time we should have won, but this time you're going to be scary, kid. You're going to be a greasy, fast Italian monster. You're going to eat lightning and you're going to crap thunder. We're going to have to put you in a cage, kid. Right? That's Caleb. That's totally Caleb. I just picture him like Mickey. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but he's calling, on, he's calling on the promises of God from chapter 1. I mean, remember when, when, when God is telling Joshua to even go into land at the very beginning, he says, be strong and courageous, careful to obey the law, and then you'll be prosperous and successful wherever you go. So he's not letting go of his dream. And that's, I think, why the reason, the reason why he's making this speech publicly. He wants everybody to hear it. He says, that's my land. That's what was promised to me. In Numbers 14, it says, God calls out Caleb. This is God. He says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land and his descendants will inherit it. He had lots of courage for an old guy. And look at this. And, and contrast that then to Joshua 17. So a couple chapters later, they're starting to divvy up the rest of the land and this tribe Manasseh is a large tribe. It's actually so large that the land that they were originally going to get is kind of too small. And so they're, actually, they're asking for larger land, but in a sense what they're asking is for easier land because they're having so much trouble making these excuses as to why they can't kick out the Canaanites that are in the land that they were given. And these guys are all decades younger than Caleb, right? And, and, they should have, and they're having all this trouble with easier land than the high ground Caleb wants full of giants. And Joshua's not having it. And neither is Caleb, but Joshua tells the snowflakes, he says, you are numerous and very powerful. Uh, you will not only have one allotment, but the forest and hill country as well. You clear it, clear that forest, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots and they, though they are strong, you can drive them out. I love it. He's like, I am not going to let you use fear as an excuse as to why I should not give you a land that's a little difficult where you have to clear some forest. Look at Caleb over here, right? And listen, we know God does not suffer excuses. It's a whole other sermon. But you think about Moses, remember, he at the burning bush, he's talking about, I can't speak well. And Abraham's like, I'm too old. And Jeremiah's like, I'm too young. And all this stuff, right? And God will not accept excuses as shortcuts of fear because you don't have faith. Remember, faith is the problem versus God. Fear is the problem versus me. And so Caleb fully followed the Lord, wholeheartedly set apart. So what about us? 
I mean, what are the other options if you're not going to follow him wholeheartedly? Well, we see it all around us. I mean, the first option, easy, that would be, well, you don't follow the Lord at all. And most people around us, I think, are probably here, right? I was telling uh, David, our new worship pastor is going to be coming. I, I said, dude, it's different out here in California than it is in the South. I ain't no cultural Christianity around here. You know, I told him, I go, hey, if somebody's not a Christian, there is no shame in saying, I ain't got no place for God in my life, right? I don't think that's, I suspect it's not that way in the South. But out here, you know, people get irritated at the idea that God would make any kind of request or demand on their life. It's kind of like, hey, if God doesn't bother me, I won't bother him. You know what I'm saying? You guys know these people, and some of you have felt that way, and some of you maybe are there. But it's the superiority of the self. It's to say that I have control over my own life. I want what I want. I can't give these areas of my life to God because I have to control. And you understand that that's fear because you're not believing the one who promised it, that he's actually good, good, you are good, like we just sang. And so you're saying, no, 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 I have to have the control. And so the fear says, it's me, it's all on me, it's on my shoulders. Well, that kind of smells a lot like rebellion and contempt to a God that's promising something good. These people, you know, that don't want anything to do with God, and you know, of course, that they're happy to receive everything that God is willing to give them, though. Uh, Life, breath, money, house, food, job, clothing, all that, right? It's kind of like what Prophet Daniel's judgment on King Belshazzar in Babylon. He says, you praise the gods of gold and silver, but the God who holds your breath in his hand, you have not glorified. It's not a good place to be. The second option would be to follow the Lord half-heartedly, quarter-heartedly, Right? And we all know what this looks like. We've all lived here. We've all camped out here for a while at different times in our life, I'm sure. We say that nothing's more important to God, but at the first opportunity, we're chasing something else. It's like we live in this constant spiritual state of, hey, look, it's a squirrel, right? And um, we make these grand promises to God, but strong is the pull of sleeping in and getting away and travel ball. And I think that for me, it's probably why I shouldn't be looking at Facebook on Sunday. Um, Because I don't want to see what everybody else is doing rather than coming to church. It's not good for my soul. You know, I, let me just say, I was a youth pastor for years and years. Before coming here, I was a youth pastor for 13 years. And it's tough for me now because I I go back on Facebook or something. I'll see um, all these kids, my old teenagers in their 30s now. And I remember their pledges at camp. I remember all the kumbaya moments. I remember writing out your sin, folding up the piece of paper and throwing it in the fire. I remember all the late night conversations, all the walk in the aisle one more time to dedicate yourself, all the signed cards of the big promises and all that stuff of these very same people. And it's hard for me to see where some of them are years later. Half-hearted, divided hearts, double-minded and unstable. Now, I mean, I realize I'm kind of picking on you guys, and you guys are a church. <laughs> the people that probably need to hear it aren't here today. But you may not be here next week, and I don't get a chance to talk very often, so here it goes. <laughs> it's good for you for being here, too, when you knew that Mike wasn't going to be here, and, and uh, you're sticking it out with me. But, um, but listen, I get it. I get it. I know the commuting is brutal. I know that sports and shopping and family stuff happens on Saturdays and Sundays, the one day to chill, sleep in. But what concerns me is I just start thinking about the kids, man. As I, you know kids can't be driving themselves to church. And I, my guess is less often it's kids crying because they don't want to go to church and more often it's the parents saying, honey, we're just not going to go today. And 
my concern is that I don't want you to miss out on the promises of God and the lives of your kids. And as a children's pastor, it's like, I don't want you to waver on your promises of God to your kids. And so my encouragement is just, just don't give half-hearted spiritual direction to your kids. You're the primary spiritual leader in the lives of your children. And be encouraged by the words and promises that are given to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't let the words of this law depart from your mouth. Be careful to do everything written on it. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. Don't be terrified or discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, be wholeheartedly devoted. If, if not just for your own sake, but for the sake of modeling and for your kiddos. Faith, patience, courage. I have a quote in my office right by my computer. It says, parenting is not a formula that guarantees an outcome. It's an offering that promises a harvest. Because you understand, I'm not just talking about church attendance. I mean, come on. There's a lot of people come to church and they ain't there for it, you know. They always say, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a car makes you a, or being in a garage makes you a car. I mean, it's the same thing, right? It's, it's, so just being here, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wholehearted devotion to him, but we can't minimize the church attendance either. I'm just saying. And Southwind's family, I feel like we now have this promise that we're kind of stepping into with this new building, with Next Gen. We know we can't do it on our own. We know we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do it. And we need to trust the one who's making the promise. But knowing that, it's a done deal, right? Because you understand that the church is not the building, right? We're not in church. We are the church. The church is the people, right? So, yeah, so we're not building a church. We're building a steel shed, for crying out loud. We're, <laughs> hey, we're sitting in a garlic clove-looking tent, all right? So we're, we, we are the church. And so we're building it. And this is what I want us to see is that we're building this not for the people that are here. It's not for us. We're building that thing as an investment toward those who are not here. And so are you ready to receive the promise of new people to our church? Now, listen, that can be scary and uncomfortable. All you new people, well, I don't know everybody at church anymore. You're not supposed to. So get out there and start introducing yourselves, right? Okay, and this is so you know too. I know how this happens. There's times that you'll see somebody and you know that you've met them before and you forgot their name and it'd be weird if you went up and introduced yourself to them because you're supposed to know them. You get a free pass on that, okay? Just say, hey, remind me of your name again. I do it all the time. It's just, just, just get, if you're afraid of not knowing people in church, then stick your hand out and, invite, and introduce yourself, all right? But listen, we're, we're getting ready to enter a land of sorts and receiving promises for things, and we need some courage for that. Now, we need everybody to help. We need everybody to be on board and serve and volunteer and give and invite. And this is not the time to pull back and get half-hearted. I mean, are we ready to be courageous enough and a little bit uncomfortable because things are going to change? Because they're going to change a little bit. And I'm just to be really honest with you. I've done this before. 12 years ago, I was at a church, a different church, and we moved into a new ambitious building and I can't tell you all the excuses and lack of faith and resistance to change and 12 spy talking stuff that I heard all the time. And it, I mean, something as simple as changing the time of the service. God, everybody, we're answering emails about that. It's like, you know, service? We're talking about service? You know, it was just crazy, this kind of stuff, the excuses, you know, and I actually sat around the leadership table and these words were actually spoken. Well, maybe God just wants us to stay a church of 500 people. I lost my mind. I, I said, well, what are, I said it, I probably overstepped, but I said, what are we doing here then? 
I mean, you, you guys, the leadership, you guys may all be all fine with, with coming to church and not being all that excited about reaching people for Jesus because you just like church. They were all raised in church, right? And here's this latecomer outsider talking now. And I said, dude, I'm telling you, I think church is a really stupid hobby if it's just for the social benefits. I didn't sign up for that. I said, we're not, if we're not going to step into the promises, then it's a monumental waste of time. What are we doing here? Right? That was then. I was a little fired up. But, but listen, <laughs> man. But listen, we got 92,000 people in Tracy, 10,000 in Mountain House. We got 100,000 or so. And you know that it's probably about 1,000, maybe, that are truly following Christ. And let me just tell you, the fields are ripe for harvest and God is going to send us so many new people. Are we going to be ready to receive them? Are we going to be okay with being a church of just a thousand? That's just where God's got us. Then I'm like, what are we doing? Because you've been faithful to give. And let me just say, stay faithful to give and pay until it's paid off. And you've been faithful to serve. Keep serving now more than ever. Because next gen is not just of getting us a more comfortable building. It's about people who aren't here yet. And so let's gird up our loins and get ready to see God do something amazing. Right? Because we, listen, are you praying for hundreds, thousands of people, new people to come? You should be excited about that. Because I'll tell you what my Hebron and my Valley of Eshel looks like. And when, when I came to church 10 years ago, I, I told them, this has always been one of my prayers. I said, I want to be a part of, of something where, a time where God is just, the Holy Spirit's moving in like a true revival, where it's just like out of control, you know? It's like we're just scrambling. Let me tell you what, what here, what Hebron would look like for me. I, that 700-seat auditorium filled the capacity multiple times. I want this sprung just jumping with youth, right? I can see the kids' rooms just bubbling over. I can see scrambling around as leadership to try to fit more people and more services and thousands of people and hundreds of small groups, right? Running and gunning, trying to get everybody serving somewhere, baptizing hundreds of people a year, exceeding budget, sending missionaries all over the world to receive, for people to receive Christ. That kind of stuff, right? And I said, do we have faith to believe, patience to wait, and courage to step into that? Man, I would love that. I hope you would too. All right, so let's be praying for that. Let's move toward that and let's move into that. All right, let's pray.